We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that. But of course, I couldn't possibly comment. 30 Helens agree. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Outside's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined by a somewhat sleepy Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? <laughs> well, no, I'm not sleepy anymore. <laughs> I mean, we were supposed to record two hours ago. Yeah, and a little bit. <laughs> I, I just sort of... I, I actually found out that I did set my alarm. It did go off, and the cats were scratching at my door, and the alarm was going, and my roommate could hear it, but it just wasn't working. So, <laughs> and it was, and I know that it was going off for a solid five minutes. So, it's my anyway. So the, I, I I'm very sorry. <laughs> well, that's what you get for pulling all nighters. You're almost out I, of school. It, you're almost I, done. It, it it wasn't quite an all-nighter, but I was watching TV until quite late. <laughs> well, we have uh, lots of great stuff coming this week. First of all, I'm excited to say at the end of the show, you know, normally we do a DVD shelf. We have a guest on to talk about one of their favorite series no longer on the air. But this week, instead of a DVD shelf, we got to interview Kevin Chapman from Person of Interest. Of course, he plays Detective Fusco. So I got to talk to him for a solid like 20 minutes. So that's going to be at the end of the show. It was great talking with him. A lot of fun. So I'm excited for you guys to get to hear that yeah people might also know him from rescue me yeah and or black dynamite i mean all sorts of stuff brotherhood all sorts yeah he's, he's been, been around. around for quite a while um and then also we have a shiny new logo that i'm pretty excited about so that's gonna hopefully be showing up on itunes and uh we might still tweak a little bit but for the most part i think we're set so we i feel much more legit there's just one more thing kate yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well, sir. I've already uh, d dug into the, the chocolates. I, I waited until noon my time, but then it was in the afternoon, and I felt, you know, I, I couldn't hold it back anymore. I was going to have at least one of the caramels. Mm -hmm. What about you? Do you have a, a similar struggle with chocolate on Valentine's Day? I have a similar struggle with chocolate every day. Today <laughs> is no different. But uh, I'm just hoping I can get through this day without any more calamity because historically it's not a good day. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start it off on a good on a good foot here. Um, speaking of Valentine's Day, I did put up an article today at soundonsite.org uh, talking about the best TV shows for date night. So there are ten different picks there depending on what sort of show you're looking for. So that was really fun. So check that out. Let me know what your favorite picks are. Uh, I, of course, last week I put up a brief history of TV musical series, which was, I thought, uh, at least to me, it was interesting to, to see sort of how some things change and some things stay exactly the same in television. So that was interesting. And we still have some more Oscar talk going on over there. But I, I feel like that's that's about it. It seems like that's enough, though. Uh, yes, yes, I think so. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of my my article this week, I did get several uh, great tweets from people. I threw it out to Twitter. What are your picks? What are the shows that you like to watch for date night? And got some really great suggestions. Uh, thank you all. Except for I've got to say, Derek, uh, he he suggested the Surgery Channel because he's just romantic like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So maybe that that one's not on my list. Spoiler alert. But it was still fun to hear from you guys. Of course, we got a comment from Mario. Um, and he was saying that because we were last week, we were speculating why Malibu is winning the fan favorite uh, award so far on Top Chef, the, the their fan vote of their favorite contestant. Apparently, he's been hitting up Twitter and really uh, talking and conversing with the fans. So that's helping him out. Hmm. Maybe. I, I can't see some of those people being too up on their social media. Yeah, but you know, I think that's cool. Getting more involvement—that's always—that's always interesting. Also, Mario votes for more BBC-style series, six episodes and out, and he suggests that's for the River in particular, which I know we're going to talk about the River pilots uh, later in the episode. So that's something that was interesting. We got some—I got some nice tweets. Um, I want to say Mila uh, Mia uh, sent me a, a question for my interview with with uh, Kevin, which was great. So thank you so much for that. Elizabeth and I talked some Vampire Diaries, uh, which was a lot of fun, as well as, of course, Ken. Uh, and I did, did a little brief discussion of Vampire Diaries and uh, ballroom classical dance forms, or Baroque dance forms, which was pretty fun. Um, and Benjamin uh, was talking to me about Dawn of the Dead, because, of course, we did the Walking Dead podcast uh, a week back uh, on Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. And... Let's just say I don't think Benjamin is going to like that one when he gets to it. He's he's a much bigger not, fan no. than I am. <laughs> but uh, that's just a reminder. We do have the Sound Insight Walking Dead podcast going out on the Televerse feed for now. So if you, you know, if, if you're not, it's not of interest to you, go ahead and, you know, delete that, discard that. We'll have one of these coming out, uh, I think, every week until the, the series wraps up. Um, but if, if you, if that's your cup of tea, if you're interested in that, you can look forward to seeing that on your, on your feed every week. Yeah. And we have a – we co-host that with Ricky D, who's, of course, best known for um, – I mean, besides ass-kicking, being on the Sound on Sight podcast. Yep, absolutely. And we did just have a new episode of that go out this morning. But uh, that's lots of business. Uh, that's all out of the way. Let's get to our week in TV. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. It was uh, mixed. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah, that's a good word for it. But let's start it off with Tuesday and uh, New Girl. Now, you, you really liked last week's episode, though you're not a fan of the show overall. What did you think of The Landlord? It's funny because I kind of switched middle-of-the-road sitcoms this week. Um, and I, you know, this wasn't as good as last week, but uh, it seems to me that whenever they have a character, I mean, besides the principals, who comes in and has the right energy to play off of Zoe Deschanel's character. They have a much better time, and I have a better time enjoying it. Uh, this week they had the landlord character, who's I, who I'm sure I've seen in a million things. You've and, seen him in Buffy at least twice. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, what's the actor's name? I want to say it's Jeff Kralik, but I could be wrong on that. Jeff Cober. Cober, there it. we go. Yeah, oh, Kralik and, is a character, duh. Yeah, Jeff Cobra and seeing him uh, play off of, um, of of those characters was was great. I thought there was a good sense of comedic escalation uh, without things getting too ridiculous. I I, I enjoyed it. Interesting for me, uh, it it did go too far. I, the comedic escalation, I would agree, was well paced. But by the time they're in the the just Nick landlord uh, threesome chicken situation, that's that's such a sitcom thing. It's so incredibly false that it just it was too much for me. Um, and plus, I don't know. Uh, of course, this is probably more zombie white bread for me. But Nick got a haircut this week, and he looks like. That haircut is something Schmidt would get. That's not the kind of haircut that Nick would get, uh, unless it was inspired, of course, by his girlfriend 
Uh, and so I was wait, kept waiting for them to give him crap about his totally, like, not him haircut, and it just never happened. So I don't know if they're just trying to, to make him just more generally appealing and less of a schlub kind of guy, but I don't know. That kind of took me out of it as well. But it was funny, it, you know, in general. I, I did, of course, have fun with all the characters, and I would like to see the landlord come back at some point. I think there's a lot of potential there. But, yeah, I think you liked it more more than I did for once. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm also a sucker for a good sexual assault gag. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> which we got in the form of the subplot. And can you just confirm that that really happened so I just don't sound like a jerk? No, that did that did happen. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was – I mean, the again, for me, that tag at the end with Schmidt didn't work. It was too on the nose. But up until then, I was really enjoying that uh, – that subplot. So any, anytime you have a character, incredibly embarrassing list of of uh, resolutions come out, I'm going to enjoy it. So Yeah, and then when his boss got it, it was just perfect. Just perfect. <laughs> but let's let's move on. On Tuesday, we also had the pilot to the river, which is, of course, the, the found footage series. I think it's currently on ABC. And that's, uh, you know, a new experiment uh, so in form, as it were, from the creators of Paranormal Activity. What did you think of the river? Um, well, I'd say it's more of a new experiment in style than rather than form, um, at least as far as TV goes. And I, it's coming in a bad time for me because I'm just, I, I, you know, I talk about film a lot. I write about film and I'm sick to death of found footage movies. I should say fake found footage movies, which is what these are. Uh, real found footage movies are a whole other thing. Yeah, I wasn't blown away by this pilot. I mean, it's clearly leaps and bounds better acted, better written, better produced than a lot of other stuff we've watched. But, I mean, it's going for these scares that don't really happen for me. The basic concept isn't all that interesting to me. I do like that it's shot in Puerto Rico, which is, you know, interesting and different uh, compared to most shooting locales for series like this. But I, I can't say I found it all that compelling. Yeah, it was better than I expected. Um I really didn't have very high hopes for this series. I, I'm also not a fan of the fake found footage formats. Uh, it's just not really my, my cup of tea. Uh, but the thing that doesn't really work for me, yes, all the, there's scares there. And of course I'm far less hardened to the, the horror ways than you are. So there was more effective on me, I'm sure than it was on you. But the problem is that, you know, form aside or struck or, or uh, style aside, there just aren't very interesting characters here. There, it's there's too much cliche. Uh, you you have the strained mother son relationship. You have the oh so predictable uh, first two thirds of an episode with the son saying we this is pointless that we got to get out of here. And then at the very end, and and the mom saying oh we have to keep doing this. And at the very end, of course, they swap roles because it's incredibly convenient for that to happen. Even though there's absolutely no build up to to mm-hmm. having there be any reason why the son wants to wants to continue to pursue the father there's the ominous magically aware latina girl i mean just yeah clichés ahoy for sure yeah all over the place and i do like some of this cast it's nice to see leslie hope for example i loved her on 24 back in the day um so i do like some of this cast uh, but i mean it's just it's and not hey that... bruce greenwood yeah absolutely and i i also uh really like can't believe his name is escaping me at the moment. I'm so embarrassed. I want to say Blackburn. Uh, of course, Mr. Dresden Files, as I know him, uh, as as the producer. But it just, 
for me, the writing just isn't that good for the characters. And I can overlook, you know, the style, not being interested in the style and not liking the constant, you know, we're being filmed situation. But Mm -hmm. I can overlook that if there's better writing, but it just isn't worth my time right now. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and I guess other people are expressing the same concern, but how many episodes is this season going to run? It's it's an eight episode season, which I think is actually okay. really smart. And like Mario nice. was saying, that will really, I think, help the show. But the problem is, if it gets picked up, then are they going to do that again? Or are they going to have a full 22 episode season and stretching out this search along the Amazon? And Yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, if, if, assuming it, if, if it gets picked up, which I don't know, apparently the ratings were quite iffy mm-hmm. on this premiere. So that's never a good sign. But, I mean, if there's one thing Oren Pelly knows, it's sequels. I mean, they get a paranormal activity out there every year, so I'm sure he's got no shortage of ideas for more 8, 10, 12, 16, 22, 76 episode seasons. Let's let's move on, though. Again, now this is Tuesday, and this is the first time that we are not putting Justified in our spotlight. Ooh, boo hiss. Lots Ooh. of drama. Now, now, Simon, why for you is the devil you know not quite spotlight worthy. Um, well, it's you, you say not quite spotlight worthy, and that is correct. This is by no means a bad or not enjoyable hour of TV. Um, with Justified, you know, it, it as I've said before, it tends to follow a certain arc of both quality and intensity in terms of how the seasons go. I think what is nice about this season is I think it's blending the episodic and the serialized elements maybe more artfully than it ever has before and i think that's that's great to see but in terms of this episode i it felt extremely transitional like very little is resolved by the end of the hour and so much is dependent on how things go next week which involves you know organ harvesting and more <laughs> dewy crow and just looks to be totally insane uh so i just can't help but feel like there's better stuff around the corner uh, and it, but and there was nothing wrong again with this episode, but I did feel like there's there, there this thing's got more gears, and it, it it feels weird to spotlight it now. Interesting for for me, it was actually of course Justified doesn't know how to make a bad episode at least so far. Uh, so it, it's a good episode of TV, and I really like getting to see Kevin Rankin do more. I was so disappointed uh, when when they they killed him off, if only because. It means he's not going to be on the show anymore. It was an exciting moment and well-played and very interesting. Yeah, probably the best scene of the episode. But I'm I'm going to miss him from my TV, absolutely. Well, he's on Unforgettable if you want to watch him, which is why they killed him off. Okay, I'm going to miss him from my TV. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Burn! But I did have a lot of fun with him, of course, also with Jeremy Davies this week. Uh, kind of yeah. kick kicking uh, that up to 11 in some ways. Uh, I, I was actually, this is the first time I've actually been reminded of uh, Faraday, his character from Lost, in, in the performance. Just something about his body language seemed very Faraday-like. Mm-hmm. But it was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, Dewey Crow is always hilarious and looking forward to more of that next week. Um, but, uh, besides the, the mislead with, with, uh, with devil and that great opening scene with Neil McDonough, of course, uh, just not so, not that much of this episode really stood out to me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what's funny is I actually didn't like that scene with Neil McDonough. That was the first, well, one of the few scenes of 
justified the season that I actually didn't like his little like gospel gospel holler and stuff. I don't know. It seemed like a mannerism that was outside the character. I wasn't it. That scene felt strange to me. Interesting. I read it more as uh, his reading of devil of how to get to devil. And then of course it becomes a power play when the guy doesn't respond. But you know, I can see what you're saying. Um, I, uh, what did you think of the, the scene with Boyd and, uh, and, and Raylan this week? I, I'm interested to see how the Boyd and, uh, and Raylan relationship evolves over the course of the season. Like, you feel like at some point they're going to have to be genuinely adversarial towards each other, but I can't see how that's going to happen quite yet with so many other bigger sharks floating around. Um, well, you do still get the sense that they like each other. Yeah, yeah, and, and and especially the way, um, especially you know the way they have this this tendency whenever they meet to just tell rambling anecdotes to each other, they just can't help it. <laughs> I will say it was nice to see Rachel get to do her job and well this this week. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the increased presence of particularly her this season. Yeah, now they just need to give Tim something to do. Yeah, maybe if they can get all of them doing something at the same week, it would just explode with awesomeness i don't know maybe they're worried we can't handle it <laughs> yeah get some a-team action going on in there but you know hopefully it'll be back in the spotlight i'm sure it will be and soon it just it, it felt like the right week to take it off uh take to, to rest it a bit i guess <laughs> yeah give something else a chance to shine yeah um now on wednesday we had suburgatory sex in the suburbs and of course you did break up with the show a while ago yep. um let's see we had uh some some nice awkward scenes between cherry sisto and and of course T Tessa's friends, which was nice, Lisa and Malik. Uh, just watching the the the, the light fade uh, from from their eyes when they was they were no longer going to play Monopoly was, was was entertaining. And then glad to see the forward momentum with Dallas. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but just the, a simple workout montage between Tessa and Dallas just tells us so much more about the characters even than what's going on on the scene it was nice to see that sometimes Tessa just kind of needs a mom um but in in a a less less upfront way in a, in a subtler way it, it was it was just nice i i enjoyed it so it not the best episode suburgatory really i i would agree with you has not lived up to its promise but i'm still having fun with it um, speaking of shows I'm still having fun with, Happy Endings, The St. Valentine's Massacre. <laughs> What'd you think? Yeah, remember that part where I said that I'd switched middle of the road sitcoms? I did watch this, but I have to say I wasn't that taken with it. I understand that other people really enjoyed it, and I'm guessing you enjoyed it. Um, my limit with Happy Endings is when they lean, and I've said, I'm sure I'm going to sound like a broken record, when they lean too hard on the mugging. And the funny voices and the, you know, the, the, the stickiness of the actors. And that was very heavy this week. And that meant I did not laugh. I, you know, I, I definitely liked it more than you did. I still didn't have as strong of a reaction to this one as, as others may have. I enjoy that they've just made Alicia Cuthbert just crazy. Alex is just basically crazy at this point. And I had a lot of fun with her bizarre knowledge of St. Valentine. I had a lot of fun with Brad's dental dance sequence. That was that was uh, just fun for me. And I like Max and Grant. Uh, but if those if they don't keep those two together for a while, this entire episode will have felt like a waste of my time. So hopefully this is the introduction of what will be a recurring character and will show us some growth from Max. But 
If not, then why did we watch it? Yeah. And and as long as we're noting stuff, it was nice to see them actually be physically intimate on television. Mm-hmm. That's always a nice, refreshing thing to see. Um, but yeah, for me, the humor part of this equation is just not clicking for me these days. Yeah. The other thing I would say is uh, Dave has gotten pretty gross. I feel like they need to clean him up a bit. Like, he's, I don't know, I guess that's part of the point this this week, but just in his, not just his, not his look, but just his personality, he just, why am I supposed to like this guy? <laughs> well, maybe he has to hit bottom before he can fix fix anything. If he's not going to be funny, I should like him. And he wasn't funny this week, and I didn't really like him that much. I don't know. Maybe that's just, am I just being too female in my perspective? Oh, uh, I, wow, I'm staying out of that question. <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, Top Chef Texas. Now, this would be the finale, except that they've done this Last Chance Kitchen thing, so we are Except that up. we don't live in a perfect world. <laughs> what did you think of this, uh, this setup for the finale? Well, I mean, I have a general issue with this whole Last Chance Kitchen thing, which is like, Let's face it, was there any way they were going to give this to Grayson? Like, and I'm not just saying this because I like Grayson more than I like Beverly, like like any thinking person. I'm just saying if they had Grayson go back to, to Last Chance Kitchen and then outperform the hell out of Beverly, do you really think they would send her back to regular Top Chef in the following episode? I do. I don't really. You think yeah, you think they've I got do. enough integrity to do that? I think there's enough integrity there for them to do that. Because they would have so sure. made their money back already. It's an it's clearly an experiment that they're not they're not gonna be able to do this again because they won't be able to be, have the surprise element to it. So at least they won't be able to do it in the same way. So yeah, I think they would have, but I think they also knew that mm-hmm. it was very likely someone who was better would be eliminated uh, early based on something outside of their control and would work their way back in, and that's what happened. Mm, I'm not. I I just feel iffy about that whole thing. Um, as for the episode itself, I mean, I'm a little bit, uh, dispirited that they kicked out Ed and now that my dilemma is that I kind of don't care that much about anyone who's left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, I mean, Paul's okay, but I hate Beverly. <laughs> Beverly is awful. And every time she rejoiced at winning something, I wanted to punch things <laughs> and she rejoiced a lot well, and she cried a lot. Do Ugh. you have, well, obviously want Beverly to not win. So is there an approach you can take similar to my watching of any Packers game of people you're going to root <laughs> against? Like, do you care that much even? I guess I'm rooting against Beverly and Lindsay uh, because they're, they're both kind of horrible. Um, and, and I also found it weird that I, and like quite glaring that they, when Sarah won immunity from the mentor challenge, they, she actually just didn't cook and wasn't even at the dinner. That yeah. was a weird choice. Normally they would have her at the dinner. They've done that in the past with things where people haven't had to cook. and the, But then normally they sit down at the dinner and they take place and, you know, they, they're there for the tasting uh, and offer their comments. So, you know, you're right that that was a little strange. Um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, it, it was it was fine. What did you think of the quick fire, the blindfolds? Um, oh, that was fun to watch, especially uh, when, you know, people art especially mostly just that initial phase when people don't even know where they are <laughs> yeah uh, i thought it was fun d- disorientation is always fun to watch yeah uh but yeah yeah I, I i didn't think there was anything particularly special about this episode and i'm sad to see ed go because to me i don't know do you agree that he was the most likable that we had left um 
you know, I've really liked Paul, I would say, the best of the people who are left. I think Ed was likable as well. I, I don't know that I thought he should win, but I, I did enjoy watching him in the competition. So we'll see what happens. I, yeah, I, if anything, I get to say, I guess I was right. Yay, do my I was right dance, which will be making another appearance later in the podcast. Um, but uh, when we talk about Fringe, but... He, just for having called Beverly making it to the finale, I guess. I think she, I feel like she's the favorite. Her and Lindsay are the two favored to win, but. Yeah. I mean, Paul's actually great, and he and he really kicked ass this episode. So I guess I'm rooting for him now. Uh, and also, it was pretty obvious that Ed was going home just because his interviews, I don't know if you noticed in this episode, were especially despondent. Oh. And he's, and he's not very good, as he actually mentions, I think, at hiding his feelings. Well, and, and looking back on it, when he goes, port casings, <laughs> if, yeah. if he had gotten eliminated based on port casings, I could see that being a, a hard blow to take. But yeah, I, Especially I, port casings that he picked out while blindfolded. Yeah. Um, I get the impression we're just kind of waiting for the se- season to be over. Uh, hopefully next time they'll have a more interesting cast. Uh, yeah, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Um, next on Thursday, we had 30 Rock, Hey Baby, What's Wrong, which uh, you didn't get to uh, see, nope. but I did, and I will say I laughed a couple times. I got It got some chuckles out of me. I enjoyed my <laughs> a couple time. times with... in an hour? Yeah, but that's way more than has happened for with me on, for 30 Rock, or for me with 30 Rock this season so far, so it's clearly an improvement. Um, I, I like Kristen Shaw better this week as as Hazel the Page, who will now be creepy stalker Hazel the Page, which has potential, I think. Um, I, the Ikea trip was pretty on the nose, but I did enjoy Mary Steenburgen coming in. Uh, and I like that, at least for now, they didn't progress that storyline. We'll see how that goes. I'm trying to stay vague for you. I don't know if you care. but um, I, I don't really. But I really wish they would get they were able to get Elizabeth Banks at back and soon. Cause I do really like her on the show and I think I'm missing her with the Jack stuff. Um, Kenneth, I could take her leave this week yet again. Um, Jenna with her, her voice not working, um, was somewhat entertaining. Uh, but for me, this did work far better as an hour long episode than the two part we got earlier this season, which just felt strange and extended. This actually felt like there was enough story to fill the time, so that's Oh, that's something. nice. Yeah. And then on Thursday, uh, we had yet another, I would say, excellent episode of Archer Drift Problem. What did you think? Uh, you know, actually, this might be my least favorite episode of Archer, which is... Interesting. Which is, you know, it's funny and all. I mean, it's, you know, bad Archer is still better than probably good 30 Rock. Um, but, uh, yes. yeah, I just... it. It um it a lot of this didn't click for me. The whole like product placement thing with Ford was like kind of funny at first, and they just kept referencing it. And I'm like, dude, you're beating it into the ground. Um, and uh, you know the whole reveal of of the mother being responsible for it the whole time was felt a very sitcommy in a way that Archer usually isn't, and b very predictable. Um, the action beats weren't as fun as some of the others we've seen i mean george takei is was great as the yakuza boss which was inspired casting um but yeah i just i didn't feel like it was a particularly by archer standards great episode 
Interesting. Again, I really like this one. I had so much fun with it. I loved. I did. The product placement didn't bother me at all, and I loved just just how much love and affection Archer had for that car. Just lines. Corinth is known for its leather. I mean, it was great. Uh, you know, with the uh, with the bar and the clear at the bottom statement that. Uh, they in no way condone alcohol, and I don't know, I thought that was, was fun. As for the ending, that really worked for me. It didn't feel sitcom at all just because it felt so true to the character. Mallory's a terrible, terrible mother, so of course this is something that she would do. Yeah, I just, I, I guess I just felt like this is a beat we've seen enough times that we kind of get it. Fair enough. But... I, I mean, I really, I, I liked that the end, when, when, uh, when Archer's walking away, he, and all uh, just sort of messed up in the head. It's not about the car, it's about the bike. And that I think that's what made it kind of all come together for me. Um, but you gotta say, I mean, Pam is an underground Yakuza driver. That is pretty great. Oh, Pam in general is always great. Uh, <laughs> the other disappointing thing for me is that, you know, the, the, the very last shots of Archer mm -hmm. often usually knock it out of the park. I mean, think of the Ocelot thing last week, which was <laughs> probably the best thing in the whole season. And this week we got a really weird closing gag involving a frisky dingo character. Just just like Adam Reed, come on. It's it's time for no more frisky dingo jokes. No one has seen it. I've seen it, but I can still confidently state that no one has seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so confused. I was glad when I talked to you and found out that you didn't know what the end was about either. Because I was certain I had missed something and it was a reference to a previous character or something. So I made me feel a little bit better for not catching it. But... I don't know. I'm still, yeah, I'm so glad. Thank you guys so much. You and, and the rest of the sound on site you guys for really pushing me into trying Archer. Cause I'm so glad I'm on the bandwagon now. Yeah. Well, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Now, uh, it's time for the headphones to come off, uh, and Simon to go into his isolation chamber because he's still on season, uh, I, I, season one or two. Uh, of of uh, of Vampire Diaries, I think he's still partway through season one. And so this week's episode, Dangerous Liaisons, um, was the episode of the ball. It was another solid episode, and I liked. Uh, well, of course, I always will love a ball. Big poofy dresses, old school uh, waltzes and dances, so much fun. I like what we saw about the the triangle, I guess, with Stefan and, and and Damon. I like that we were seeing that they do have a different approach to Elena and. I like how strongly she demands her will and her choice, which is something we don't see in other uh, fiction of this sort at times. So I, I really like that we're seeing that they, though they are in some ways very similar, their approach to Elena is very different and that there's a reason, other than the fact that she met Stefan first, that she does tend to like Stefan more. Um, I think the, the, the dance looked great. Everybody looked great at the dance. I liked the developments we got with Esther, who I was sort of on the fence about, but now I think I'm in, uh, fully in, in, uh, support of, um, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm torn about this whole Klaus Elijah thing. Cause I'm ready for Klaus to go, but I don't want Elijah to. So we'll see what happens with that. And we'll also see what happens with Caroline and Klaus. I had actually a lot of fun talking with Beth about this on, on Twitter this week about, uh, what, what that means and what we think it might, what, what, what might be coming for Klaus, if he's going to change it all, or if he's going to maybe kind of lure Caroline into some darker impulses, shall we say, particularly as revenge, you know, when the opportunity comes to revenge her father, but I don't know. We'll see. It's it's uh it's a lot of fun, and even if it was a more laid back episode, as in no deaths, 
Um, I'm still having having fun with the show. And of course, I will have a full review up, or I do have a full review of this episode up at soundonsite.org. And Simon can now re-enter the conversation. Now, Simon, uh, how far did you get in Vampire Diaries? Remind me. Oh, I think I'm around episode 19 of season one. Too many episodes, guys. Um, <laughs> and I'll resume whenever. You know, honestly, I'm in the middle of a wire rewatch now with my roommate who's never seen it. So, you know, priorities. Um, <laughs> but I'll I'll get to it at some point. On Friday, we had Supernatural and Plucky Penny Whistle's Magic Menagerie, which I know you don't watch Supernatural, but the premise of this one is basically there's a killer Chuck E. Cheese's. Uh, do you have that in Canada? No, I know what it is. I, I I think I remember seeing some ads. I mean, maybe there's one in you know Toronto or something because they have all things that are lame. But um, it's <laughs> not really a Canadian thing. But I get the concept. Kids eat and there's clowns and stuff. There's there's you know ball pits and yeah arcades and of course which leads to Dean spending time with a kid, which is always fun and his uh his particular frustration expressed at the the lack of justice in the ratio between points at ski ball and number of tickets is particularly entertaining to me. It's a really brief moment, but I think haven't we all been there? Uh, you get like a bajillion points and they give you five tickets. Um, Sam is of course afraid of clowns, which, you know, clowns are all over plucky. So that was always fun to watch. Um, and the, actually some of the horror in this episode was, was really well done. So, uh, in general, I think it was a good one. I'm really liking that they're keeping things more standalone than than uh, serialized at this point of the season. So we'll see what happens next week, but it's it's been fun. And, of course, I also have a review of Supernatural up at Sound on Sight. Then on, on Saturday, we had The Fades, Episode 5, and yeah, like we were saying, British series, we're almost done with this one. There's only... This is the anti-penultimate episode. Or no, this is the... No, it's the penultimate it's, it's the episode. Penul I, see, I was getting ahead of myself. Trying to be all fancy. Ah, it's the penultimate yeah. episode. What did you think of Episode 5? Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. It was this close to Spotlight for me. This close. But I, I, I feel like with, with The Fades, I kind of have to... I have this perverse feeling that I have to hold out for the finale. So, I mean, next week I feel like it's going to be a real battle royale for the for the spotlight spot for a few reasons. Uh, I really dug this episode. I thought it it's it ramped up nicely. Uh, there was a good sense of menace. And I think one thing that's great about the fades is there's also a good sense of uncertainty. Because you really don't know the scope of Paul's powers until midway through the episode. And maybe even we still don't. And Paul's not sure either. And you're also not sure how everyone's going to react. And I think for my, for my part, the coolest part of the episode was my thinking to myself, okay, well, if I, if, if I was Paul and I had the powers, I would just go around, you know, eradicating stuff, <laughs> which, you know, Paul does not have that reaction. In fact, he sort of has the opposite reaction. And I thought that his last scene, especially with John was, was really telling. And I think, uh, I think they've done some clever things here. Yeah, there's there's a lot good going on here, and I think they did a really good job of building up the threat and the menace this week. Uh, the the just the institutionalization, the however brief that we get of of the the fades, uh, luring people in. I think was very uh, very effective and and really worked to to heighten both the the sense of, of course, whenever you have. A, a safe space that it then becomes perverted in some way in this case the school that 
really serves to, to make the, the threat feel all the more personal. So I think they did a really good job with that. I liked the way that they brought together the, the differing plot threads with the, the teacher and the kids and, and with, with Neil. Um, so we'll see how it goes together in the finale, but I, I thought most of it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I really like the scene near the end. I mean, Mac's dad is kind of a useless character, but mm-hmm. I um, I did like the scene he got near the end where he, he's outside the hospital and he gets a megaphone. He's like, listen, guys, get the I don't hell know out. what's happening, but just please get out. Like, <laughs> this is the announcement we should have heard from a cop or anyone in like a hundred horror films. Oh, yeah. Like, people feel like they need to be able to explain everything before they tell people what they should do. And he's mm. just like, no, nah, like, look. I don't know what's happening, but please get out of here. It's not good. Yeah, it's like this the conversation that the cops should have been say, having with the public in every episode of Buffy and in every episode of Twin yeah, Twin Peaks and all these different yep, shows. Yep, totally. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, that I, I really dug. So points to the showrunners for that little detail. Yeah, and we'll see what happens with it next week and where it winds up, if it ends up getting the spotlight or, or if maybe something else usurps that, but... Definitely, I'm glad I'm watching the show. Um, next on Saturday, I watched An Idiot Abroad, which took Carl to Alaska to do some whale watching, um, which was just so much fun because for once, Carl was actually really excited to see whales. It was it was, it was was pretty cute, actually. Uh, he got all quiet. He was like, oh, whales. I like whales. Uh, of course, which then translates to <laughs> him on a dog sled <laughs> screaming for his life. Uh, and all sorts of other other fun uh, occasions. Of course, the way he gets to go uh, whale watching is to be put on a fisher a fishing boat, uh, which of course he immediately is deathly uh, uh, seasick, doing his best to try to eat fishermen friends, but they're they're not helping. And uh, I it's actually it was it's too bad that that Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant had to just destroy him first so that he couldn't actually really enjoy the uh the the whale watching but it you know it's just so much fun to to see a show with this kind of a presenter it's it's such a different take and i really enjoy it so idiot abroad yet another good episode um now let's take it to sunday and our spotlight of shame so Yes, we are bringing back this inst- this segment for its second installment, uh, and that's in honor of Downton Abbey. Now, we had talked earlier in the week about our less than happy reactions to what in the UK was numbered as episode six and what here was numbered as episode seven. And then we found out that it was actually, they did a double episode, so we had to watch another one. Uh, and if seven was disappointing... Eight, I think, kind of kicked it over the edge. Uh, what, what, did, what was your reaction? Well, okay, I'm going to give you a total play-by-play. So seven, um, you told me in advance that there were five things that made you just basically, you know, actually out loud <laughs> say out out loud, just come the hell on. Um, I honestly lost track of things that that might have included. <laughs> uh, near the end of the episode, I realized I had like 11 or 12. I was like, okay, I'm not even going to bother sifting through these. It would have been a fun test of the hive mind, but I was just too annoyed. I mean, everything from like Matthew's miraculous recovery, mm-hmm. which by the way, makes clear that the doctor character is just, is first An of all, idiot. the most useless, <laughs> the most useless doctor in television history and B, clearly a delivery device for misleading information mm-hmm. and nothing more. Um, 
God. I mean, what else? Uh, the fact that we're supposed to care about uh, Ethel and her kid uh, when we really don't know anything about her. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting the worst offenders, even. Yeah, let me just jump in uh, there. Uh, you haven't mentioned Jane and all of a sudden the fact that Lord Grantham is a cheating bastard. Oh, God, yeah. Uh yeah, that was uh, yeah, pretty that, much my that was right that there. was probably the that was probably the worst thing in that episode. Yeah, because at least they had like hinted towards the fact that Matthew was going to be able to insty walk uh, at, at whenever is most convenient for his wife to start to to start to trip so that he can spring to action. You know, I, I I have to say I listened to the Big Red podcast take on that on the episode last week when when he got tinglings and. <laughs> And they had a totally different interpretation that would have been way more, way more interesting. entertaining. <laughs> that's, that's all I have to say. Uh, I'm sure they were not pleased this week. Yeah, that's BigRedPodcast.com. You can go find it yeah. there. But yeah, the Lord Grantham stuff is horrible. Uh, God, what else? Tom and his black market thing. We oh don't my care God, about. his black market freakout. That was on my list. That was one of my five. When he just destroys everything. Wait, this Thomas is not, that's not the kind of character Thomas is. Thomas would pawn all that stuff onto somebody stupider than him and get some of his money back. So yeah. Oh my Which, god. Which I mean, we still wouldn't care, but at least it would be in character. Yeah. Um. But so so that's all in episode seven. Then we have episode eight. Okay. So then I sit down with episode eight. It's sixty-seven minutes long. Yeah. And, you know, Spanish flu hits, a bunch of characters get sick. Uh, once again, we have the Doctor totally, you know, they're clearly for, for purposes of pure misdirection. Oh, these two characters are really sick, but this one character isn't so ill. Oh, no, wait, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, and you know what? The second Lavinia kicked it, the second Lavinia kicked it, I said, you know what? I had a moment of revelation. And it's, it, you know, to make the comparison, I don't walk out of movies very often. I probably do it once a year. And in the, by the same token, I don't turn off TV shows in the middle. But you know what? The second they got rid of, like, one of the only maybe two remaining non-contemptible characters, just for the sake of cheap drama, I was like, you know what? Downton Abbey, we're done. <laughs> Turned it off. I, I have no idea what happens in the last 30-some-odd minutes of that episode. We're donezo. Yep. Well, see, because, of course, now that she's died and Matthew feels guilty for cheating on her, because he should, uh, that means that it's ruined everything, and now he and Mary can't be together. Because they're responsible for her death. Because clearly she died of a broken heart, not Spanish, Spanish flu, and plot contrivance. So, yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> and the fact that Matthew and Mary agree about this is also pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it just so much of this episode was just terrible. I, I feel like I, I feel like Ryan Murphy is ghostwriting this season or something. Like is like the I mean, not that the first season was like brilliant or anything, but I just I felt like there was a sense of restraint. There was a sense of you know, most of the characters not being eminent so eminently punchable. Now, um, now, did you get to see Bates's wedding? Because, of course, he and Anna got married just in time for him to get carted off by the police at the end of the episode. Oh, no, I did not get that far. Oh, yes. So they, they are now married. And, of course, he is now arrested and taken off in handcuffs. At the Another end of the plot I don't care about. No one cares about. Really, no one cares about. This episode and the this second half of the season have been 
so bad that I don't really even want to watch the Christmas special. But as I'm an idiotic completist, I will next week. I don't know that I'm coming back for the next season because while there is a lot of really good... There are a lot of really good elements. There's a lot of good acting. There's a lot of good, great production design going on. It's just pissing me off every week. And that's... Well, and that's the... It, you know, it's the same thing as with our other Spotlight of Shamer Touch. Like, the production values are there. The acting is there. It's just the ideas, the writing, the concepts, they're just... They don't work at all, for me at least, and they just serve to... <sighs> they just serve to piss me off. And I, you know... I, my my day just opened up when I realized I didn't I, I didn't have to watch it. No. Yeah, Downton Abbey, we're done. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, next on Sunday, there was also, of course, the the return of the Walking Dead. We will we already have the the Walking Dead Sound and Sight podcast uh, up on the Televerse feed. You can find that our, our listen to our thoughts uh, along with Ricky D's on that episode uh, by going to soundsight.org and checking it out there or on if you subscribe on iTunes and you've already gotten it. Um, then after that on Sunday, we had luck episode three. And of course you have a review of that up on the website as well. And I know you are a, a bigger proponent of this than maybe the average. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying luck so far. I mean, I think there's stuff with it that works better than some other stuff. There's no doubt about it. What's surprising me is what works and what doesn't, isn't what I would have guessed that it is. Um, you know, when the show first started, I, I thought we might have a hard time with the sort of down on their more down on their luck, more marginal characters who are sort of off to the side. And here we, we, we focus on them a lot. I mean, Renzo and Jerry and Marcus, those guys. And they're, they're even done the four horsemen this week, which was which was just great. And and I, I, I honestly think every scene they got was some of the best stuff in the episode, especially when um, when they finally do get uh, Bongato and there uh and they have a long t talk with escalante who tells them the price of carrots by the way <laughs> uh which was hinted at last week in a nice touch and just their awe at realizing that wow they have this animal it's theirs and they get defeated and they just are totally dumbstruck i just love that sequence uh, i don't know what did you think Oh, speaking of that sequence, I loved the look on Escalante's face when they, when they, the one guy says, can we pet him? <laughs> it was just yeah. hilarious. Um, but yeah, I like this episode too. It was much better for me than last week's. That uh, annoying expo dump element was gone, which was so much, so much better. Uh, I really liked, especially in the Dustin Hoffman and Dennis Farina scenes, getting to watch particularly Farina just... Uh, sit back and, and enjoy the the idiocy or the 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 I guess green how green this this guy this other guy was who had you know been a little too on the nose shall we say at at Hoffman's earlier business meeting uh, mm -hmm. but so yeah there was a lot to really like I wish that they hadn't I wish they had gotten Carrie Condon back already for this episode I was a little frustrated that they just started the call the guy to call the guy to get her back on the show. It seemed uh, like a bit uh, stretched out. Um, but other than that, uh, you know. <laughs> Everything but, on this show is going to be stretched out. It's milch, baby. Well, he takes yeah. his time. Well, in some ways he takes his time. In other ways he, does, he doesn't at all. I thought it was um, interesting that they mentioned the women who beat the crap out of the, that one guy. Um, and we'll see if that, that police officer is around more in the future. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't expect them to him to actually press charges on them. So we'll, we'll see where all of this is headed, but I'm enjoying yeah. it so I mean, far. 
the the Dustin Hoffman stuff is probably the least interesting to me right now, just because we have we haven't met Mike yet, who's played by Michael Gambon, who we get next week, and also can I say hell yes? <laughs> um, but so we, you know that that whole plot lacks focus for me, and it's coming together so slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's just so many, so much to like, and s- s- details I didn't even pick up on. Like someone pointed out that, I mean, they they have to bribe the W. Earl Brown character to mm-hmm. to get the horse back by saying, "Oh, we'll pay seventy five hundred for this barbecue." And at the end of the episode, they're actually using the barbecue. They're actually using the barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> which which I thought was just fantastic. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I I think it's going to be a real spotlight contender next week, yeah. along with some other stuff. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens. It was a, it was a good one. Um, and then on on Monday we had uh, I caught up with Castle's uh, episode from last week, the Blue Butterfly, because it was a 1940s flashback. I always enjoy Castle when I watch it, though it's not appointment viewing for me. So it just it's fun to watch the whole cast get all dressed up in, in the the 40s garb and a good old fashioned PI tale. So I had a lot of fun with that episode. Um, I haven't I haven't caught any of the more recent episodes besides this one. But I'm sure at some point I will just during the summer or something catch back up and have a lot of fun with that with that cast. Um, then there's also Lost Girl Dead Lucky, which uh, was was again more fun. I'm really enjoying this series. I like that we this week there's a frost giant who stabs <laughs> the main character with its you know icicle fingers, which was pretty awesome, as well as some uh, an oracle and some some luck fay that were interesting to see as well. The the villain of the piece was supposed to be a surprise, but it was the most cliched thing. If, if you watch the first five minutes of this, uh, at least uh, the part that pertains to the case of the week, Simon, you would instantly know who did it and why. Uh, so that was a little disappointing. But um, other than that, there was a body jumper that was cool. So they've done a really good job of building the world of the Fae, and uh, while I don't really care about Bo's family drama at all, I, I am liking how, I think the show is putting its world together in a similar way to Grimm, but I think more successfully. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out on, on that one in future weeks. Now on Monday, we also have The Voice, and you are somewhat new to The Voice. What, what are you thinking of the show? <laughs> well, the problem with The Voice is that it airs two hours on Monday. I work Mondays, and we record... <laughs> Tuesday, usually, <laughs> usually Tuesday morning when things come together. Uh, so I, I'm going to have a hard time keeping up with it. Um, I, I'm enjoying this all right. I, I, I these these two hour episodes to me, I, I find a, a really repetitive. Just I mean by design, um, and over the course of that amount of time, I mean I find the personalities of the judges kind of wear thin a little bit. Um, I also have have an impossible time. I don't know how people at home keep track of who's got what singers oh, and that all that stuff because there's there's so many. Yeah. Um. But you know, I I'm I'm enjoying it. Okay. And also just the the inverse effect of such a high, relatively speaking, quality level of singers is that after two hours, I kind of stop being able to compare them because I've just heard too much and they're all so competent that I don't know for me personally my ears just stop sort of discerning that's interesting that's probably my favorite thing about the show the fact that all the singers at the, at the least are good so if they're not good they're not on the show and they don't waste our time with uh watching people get mocked so I think that's interesting um for me the what I thought was interesting this time and what really is telling about the show is 
certain people every now and again there's a bit of a question mark as to why somebody turned around or why they didn't turn around i was surprised i thought sweet home alabama guy was gonna get at least one of them to turn around he seemed like he had a nice strength to his voice um but i really enjoy watching them sort of the judges that is puzzle out you you can see sometimes they're playing to the camera but you can see for example adam is a lot pickier about the voices he's going to want on his team, of, of mm-hmm. how he's going to piece his team together than the others. And and sometimes I always find it interesting when you can see two or three of the judges pointing to one of the other judges saying, this is somebody for you to work with. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah. There, was, there was that one country singer where, I think it might have been, been Sweet Home Alabama Guy, where you could see Christina They all saying, look at Blake, yeah. They're like, you know, and granted, if they think the person's that good, they should just pick them. But there's also an element of... I don't know how to work with this guy. I'm not going to be able to help this guy that much because I don't know that much about country. I don't know much, that much about his singing style. But you could really work well with this guy. And I think that's an interesting dynamic to or, it as well. Or maybe they're saying, hey, maybe this sucker will pick him so that, you know, I can beat this guy later. Which, yeah, that that's definitely the most... It's the most genuinely spontaneous feeling aspect of the show. It's sort of the thing that... I mean, they can fake it, but it's happening live mm-hmm. while the person's they performing were, yeah. it's in this it's in the same frame mm-hmm. so it, it it's by you know by definition not as easy to fake as other stuff or as easy to contrive as other stuff and yeah. and yeah and, I, and, I, and the other thing is over the course of two hours i get really tired of sob stories really, oh yeah really tired this is a show i watch on dvr i mean maybe i would watch it if it was, if I didn't have that option, maybe I would watch it live, but I would be far less likely to. It's a two-hour show with at least a half an hour of just commercials, let alone the sob stories that, I mean, and especially, there were a couple this week, and they did this more last season, it was really frustrating last season, there were a couple this week that got picked that we didn't see their performances. And yet there were people who didn't get picked who you did see their performances. And I understand they want to make sure there's still an element of, of is this person going to get chosen? But when they don't show us the person's audition, that is a pretty good indication that they're not lasting long in this season. That these people are probably going to get eliminated quickly in the battle rounds. Yeah. So if you don't show us the audition, how am I supposed to care about them? Yeah, and, and you know maybe that's not such a crime when you're dealing with 48 singers. But you yeah. know, also maybe just choose fewer singers, guys. Yeah, I don't. And I mean, there's there are definitely ways that they could shrink it down. But I don't know. I still think it's by far the most interesting of the vocal competition shows. So there's a lot that it's kind of like with the Vampire Diaries, where it's not my favorite show ever, but uh, I really appreciate some of the things that it does and it does well. So we'll see. Yeah, I can agree with that, and I'm anxious for them to get past this stage so I can see sort of you know the next. Segment of the show. Segment of the show. Now, next uh, after that is, of course, on NBC Smash Callbacks. Now, the pilot premiered well. Did uh, I think like eleven million or something for NBC, which I'm sure is just an alleluia moment for them because they're in such dire straits right now. And we liked the pilot. What did you think of the second episode? Uh, it was not as good as the pilot. I mm-hmm. think it's safe to say uh, a lot of clunky stuff. I think just to get this out of the way. The clunkiest part by far for me was um, when the sun, <laughs> when Deborah Messing's oh, sun God, turns up yes. in the middle of the episode yes. and has a conversation with her that no one has ever had. Yeah. Where he talks about how you told me I was going to have a baby sister. Like, well, and how old is he? On. He looks like he's like in high school, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could see maybe way like a six-year-old having this conversation, but... Yeah, way too old to be caring about babies is all I have to say. That is not healthy. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, I agree. Definitely, that's a clunky part of it. I'm, I'm negative interested in the the bitchy assistant. I wish that character was just gone, and I hear that only gets worse in the next several episodes. But I did like the way that it was resolved. Uh, I, I liked at the end of the episode that is as of what happened with the casting. I liked that. Um, that the the songwriter and the director who don't get along may have real significant issues with each other, but they're both good at their jobs and they're willing, they're able to work together. And I I, I thought that was a, a smart move. And as for the uh, Karen Cartwright character, Kat McPhee's character, I liked what they did with the their fight, her and her boyfriend's fight, where just because they you know have a fight or something it doesn't mean that they're not still really strong together so i'm sure that'll yeah get although with, i'm negative interested you know. in the boyfriend personally interesting okay i, I find him just loathsome and hard to watch um <laughs> but you know maybe it's just residual hatred for politicians um the you know it's funny because the stuff that's least realistic about the show is probably the stuff that i like the best i mean the fact that they're they've the, the the musical is progressing way too quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be anywhere near realistic, like they're they've already they've cast their lead and they've got the show pretty much assembled and they're gonna do road tests somewhere. Like this would never happen, but it's good for TV that it's happening. Like I'm glad they got the casting out of the way. Yeah. Or you know maybe there's gonna be some drama where you know there's recasting or whatever, which I'm hope I'm hoping there's less of that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm not also I'm also not crazy about the whole director boning Megan Hilty thing, but um yeah, I mean it, I didn't think it was as good as the pilot just just because there were clunky scenes like the one with with the sun and you know, general soapy elements that I wasn't crazy about. And everything to do with Deborah Messing and her husband and their adoption I didn't find interesting also. But yeah, I I I'm still enjoying it. But you know, good songs, I would say. Uh yeah, generally although I wasn't crazy about the closing number. Mm-hmm. But that that's not one of the original songs, right? Isn't that a cover? Am I wrong on that? Uh, maybe it's possible. The, the one the one that she goes up and sings in the bar and then turns into a whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I wasn't sure if it was original or not, but I thought it was pr- probably the least good of the of the of the hour. Yeah, but you know, well, I'm gonna stick with the show. I, I I've heard some rocky things ahead in episode three, but then I hear it gets better. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's nice to have a show sort of filling that void of, of Glee now that I've... I, thankfully, I do, I do not miss Glee, but it's still nice You've to broken have... broken the habit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's it's still nice to have uh, a, just sort of a, a positive, interesting musical show on right now. Um, we're going to take a break. I think that that's about it, right? Yeah, I think it is. Let, let's take a break. We're going to listen to some music and come back with our spotlight on Fringe. Welcome to Westfield. I like to rest a heavy head tonight on the bed. was California Stars by Billy Bragg and Wilco, though you were telling me that that's pretty much just by Wilco? Uh, yeah, they Billy Bragg wrote the lyrics. It's a whole thing. You can you can find it on one of the Mermaid Avenue records. Look it up. 
Wikipedia is your friend. And that was featured in this week's episode of Fringe. Welcome to Westfield. Um, now, you've been more critical of this season, I would say, than I have. What did you think about this episode, and why is it our spotlight? Well, I, you know, I kind of feel like I, I felt the need to give it to it this week just because it was so much better than it was in the, in the last couple of weeks. I really felt like it was spinning its wheels quite a lot uh, recently. And I feel like this is the episode we should have gotten a few weeks back, uh, just because it's finally starting to deal with the fact that we're, you know, dealing with a universe that isn't that is only peripherally peripherally connected to everything we've seen before. And, you know, this week, they're sort of they finally start to address that. And and I think in a, in a pretty you know freaky and satisfying way, uh, I mean, I think it's definitely not a perfect episode and definitely not close to the best they've done but um, and I think particularly the weakness of the episode is in the resolution of the conflict it feels sudden and very strange I I didn't I didn't understand one iota of how the, basically how the major conflict was resolved but um, I don't know it was a, it was effectively creepy it was uh, I, I think you pointed out very Twilight Zoney, mm -hmm. which was it was nice to see it taking cues from and I, I just thought it worked significantly better than it has in quite a while. Yeah, like you're saying, in my Sunset review of this, I I referenced the the Twilight Zone, because I swear there's a Twilight Zone episode that's kind of like this, but I couldn't find it uh, when I was searching online. Um, just, you know, it's been a while since they did a bottle episode, and this isn't t technically, or if you're going to be, you know, <laughs> if you're going to be technically correct, the best kind of correct, uh, this wouldn't actually fit that uh, label, but just... if you if you consider the town the bottle, I guess it kind of works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just really putting the three characters together, uh, the main trio, of course, Peter, Walter, and Olivia, and and then applying pressure and seeing what happens. It's it's almost always a, a good recipe for an interesting episode, and I think they delivered this week. And I'm just going to get this out of the way and do my, I, I called it dance, and I'm actually doing a little bit of an I called it dance right now. Uh, if, she really to, is, folks. It's happening. <laughs> listeners of the Televerse uh, may remember earlier, like quite a ways back um, in the fall, I, I called that uh, Olivia and probably Walter, but definitely Olivia was going to get back all the memories of other time original timeline Olivia because that was the most logical way to me to uh to have the first three seasons still count so if the characters remember them then they still sort of happened but without uh wasting the beginning of this season uh as well so that's the only way you can kind of have your cake and eat it too was my argument and why look what happened this week Olivia got her memories back hmm um however I think this also, this episode functioned well to show just what happens when universes overlap. So when timelines overlap, I assume there will be some sort of a similar problem. I don't know. What do you see coming with that? I really like the way this, this episode just in, invented pseudoscience left and right. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, <laughs> like, you know, we have this overlap and then people have two rows of teeth <laughs> or they have... <laughs> face mashup or they have two irises like that, that was creepy by the way the, the yeah. double face and the double iris creepy yeah very creepy and you know really nonsense when you think about it but it it's it's cinematic it, it works um uh, i mean i mean i i 
like I said, I, I I feel like we should have gotten this a few weeks ago. I, maybe people felt like we needed all this, like, 11 episodes of them not remembering anything and then remembering. I felt like that was a little too long. Um, or maybe I only feel that way because the last couple episodes were kind of crappy. For me, one of the reasons I think that I, I would have liked to have seen her get her memories back earlier is because, you know, if she remembers both of her lives at so like simultaneously, that puts her and everyone else for that matter in a really difficult position and in a position that I'm not sure I've seen before. You know, it's not just an insomnia plot line where someone f- forgets everything and, you know, coconut on the, on the head thing. Um, you know, it's where someone simultaneously retains two lives and, and in those two lives, she has a very different set of relationships and that, puts her in a in a very interesting position potentially and i i hope that they do everything they can to exploit that yeah we'll see uh how how that goes and interesting so far is that it's only olivia we see walter following the same trajectory of you know due to peter's influence that he was following in the beginning of season one of coming out of a shell and being more uh being more excited to interact with the world but he hasn't shown any indication of getting his memory back. So it has to prompt questions of if those injections into uh, Olivia are responsible for her getting her memory back or not. Or if that's c- completely unrelated or if it's just, you know, this this idea that they play with every now and again of love, capital T, capital L, true love that is um, breaking oh, down please, the walls guys, of the universe. Please don't. Please don't go there, guys. I will hate you forever. But it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I know. Um, but, but you know, so we'll see where that goes. I'm definitely interested. And that's far more interesting to me. That along with the uh, David Robert Jones, I want to say. Um, yeah. His, his reemergence. Uh, those are the two most interesting things to happen in a while, I would say. Um, I, I like that they always feel the need to say all three names. All three names. Well, you know how they go. If you say the three names, that's your serial killer. Situ- or your, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, what did you think of the visual style? I really liked the look of a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, even, like, stuff that's normally really corny. Like, it's whenever you have a dream sequence love sequence um that's it almost never worked but i actually thought it, it looked quite striking at, at the at the beginning of the episode and the, then the fact that it turns out to be olivia's dream and not peter's as one would assume mm-hmm. uh was a nice reveal and helps sets up the episode nicely and yeah i i i think they did a great job of making westfield otherworldly uh, even in the sort of daytime outdoor sequences that we get uh, later on and people are just sort of stumbling around. I thought they they did a fantastic job with that. Yeah, you know, there's a nice look, and they've done they, they've done a, a set of uh, dream sequences now. This is, I believe, the third since Peter came back. If maybe the fourth, but I think it's the third. And each time they've had had given it a, a marked uh, difference, visual style, a stylistic difference to both the other dream sequences and also the actual world that they're in. So I think they've done a really good job on Fringe this season of, of the the aesthetics, even if they've had some trouble with some of the plotting. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, hopefully this is a harbinger of more goodness to come for them. Absolutely. Um, we'll see We'll see what happens next week. Uh, though I, I don't necessarily predict Fringe will oust out luck and justified and good wife uh, again but we'll and see. the fades and the fades yeah. fingers crossed maybe it will it, i would love for it to be a discussion but you know yeah. a, a serious conversation between all these yeah shows. oh and by the way 
anyone who's watching Downton Abbey but not the fades, you're giving the wrong British stuff your attention. <laughs> for the record. Um, yeah, I think that wraps it up. Any final thoughts on our week in TV? Uh, nope. Except that uh, next week I'm, I'm going to be in Chicago. Yep, coming down old Chicago way. And, of course, to coincide with that, we are going to have our Chicago meetup. We're going to go over to the Siskel Film Center, go see Mulholland Drive, and go hang out afterwards, get some drinks, uh, and, and, and catch up. And, of course, if you are in the Chicagoland area, drop us a line. We'd love to have you come join us. That's on Tuesday the 21st, I, I believe is the date, yes? Yes. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so you can send us, uh, an email at the televerse at gmail.com. You can reach us that way. Of course, we're going to have a post uh, about this up at soundoutside.org where you can listen to the show and also leave comments. We would love to hear from you. Please let us know what you think about all these different things and, and give us your reaction to our, our Kevin Chapman interview, which is coming up next which was so much fun. Um, you can find us on iTunes. We have an MP3 and an M4A feed, uh, so you can subscribe there and leave us uh, reviews and ratings. It would be great to get a few more of those. And then, of course, if you are uh, anti-Apple, uh, as I know some people are, you can also find us at current.com uh, as well. So, so we're there. And then before I forget, of course, Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are? At Sucker Howl. And we love feedback. Don't we love feedback? We do. It makes us happy. <laughs> it makes us very happy. You're so convincing there. I, I, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I believe everything you're saying. It's almost like you're straight out of Downton Abbey there with your believability. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, I wish you hadn't brought it up again. I'm just getting mad. <laughs> so we're going to take a break now, and we will come back with uh, my interview with Kevin Chapman. Oh, he comes when he's called. Good. Oh, if I could just train you to stop trying to kill me. How long am I going to have to work down here? Commute some bitch. You should be grateful. Take some guy's years to make task force. Plus, I let you live. Carter, is she getting close? All I know right now is you pissed off real police, my friend. She's not going to stop till she got you. Is that it? and find out if there's been any ransom kidnappings reported white guys with crew cuts one with long hair kidnapping's big news I'd have heard something what about amber alerts child abduction is that what we're dealing with we oui. <laughs> since when are you on board you're still a missing kid hey whatever else I've done I'm still a cop you need some help you let me know you are being watched the government has a secret system, a machine that spies on you every hour of every day. I know because I built it. I designed the machine to detect acts of terror, but it sees everything. But I needed a partner, someone with the skills to intervene. Hunted by the authorities, we work in secret. You'll never find us. But victim or perpetrator, if your number's up, we'll find you. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined by person of interest, Kevin Chapman. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So person of interest is one of the biggest new shows this season, and I hear from our listeners all the time that it's their favorite new show. It must be exciting to be part of such a successful series. You no, know, it's great. It's, uh, it's, and it's, it, what's really great is to see how the people are responding to, um, to the show every week. 
uh, I can see it, you know, building. I think this week we broke into the top seven, uh, which is a new uh, all-time high for us. And, um, you know, it's really it's really nice to be a part of something that's original uh, and uh, and uh, as fun to make as a show. Yeah, and they're also, they're a, as far as I can tell, at least a tech-savvy audience. So I imagine there's more interaction as well. Yeah, there's a fair amount. Of, you know, I have a, I have a, a Twitter. It's a POI Fusco at twitter.com and uh i have uh it seems like each each day I, I keep getting more and more people so it's uh it's really uh it's like i say it's really it's a lot of fun to be a part of something that is so original and something that you haven't seen on television before uh you know it's a futuristic show that's uh you know as we're finding out is not so futuristic <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah, you do kind of wish it was more futuristic, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. oh well. Now Fusco Fusco has gone on quite a journey this season already. Um, it was fun, for example, in the the last episode, Wolf and Cub, to see him get to work with Detective Carter as opposed to against her or in the shadows. So, um, are you looking forward to exploring that dynamic as they they become more of you know partners? Well, I mean, I, I, the thing that the way that I've I've kind of approached the work with Fosco is, you know, as we know in the pilot, he was uh, uh, an officer who uh, whose moral compass was a little jaded, uh, as we'll say. And uh, you know, I find that each episode he's becoming more and more to light. Uh, he's he's kind of coming back to into the direction of what would probably uh, you know intrigued him to become a police officer to start with. And, and it seems like he's getting back to more police work and getting back away from that uh, that kind of criminal element and in, 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 in really kind of, um, you know, trying to participate as much as he can uh, in, the, in the police work. So that in itself is really uh, great to be a part of, to see that sense of duality that, that exists within Lionel. Um, but where this all going to go, you know, n- no one knows. Um, J.J. Abrams and, you know, Jonah Nolan, who is our show creator, um, you know, they, they keep the scripts very close to the vest. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of those actors who likes to poke his head into the writing room. I, I really enjoy taking the journey with my character. So, uh, you know, we're not really sure where it's all, all going to end up. It's been fun to see uh, as he's grown, as, as, as you said, from this more corrupt and uh, morally ambiguous character into more, you know, moving at least in the right direction. It's been fun to see that happen outside of the law. So he got in trouble by going outside of the law, but he's f- kind of finding his way home doing the same thing just for the other team. So it's an interesting way to approach that journey. Yeah, I mean, he's really, you know, he's a conflicted individual. Um and I, and I and I I think that that journey is something that I, I find more and more people um, that watch the show. At first, you know, people were were kind of anti Fusco. You know, everyone said he's a crooked cop, and and um, you know, people were on the boards, and and um, and you know, just really kind of um, you know talk about how you know crooked Fusco is, and how you know he's not a good guy, and. And I can kind of see that changing now. People are kind of like, "Geez, I love Fusco. He's kind of the, he's kind of the comedic element of the show." And um, you know, he is a bit of a dope, I guess you could say. But uh, it's, um, you know, it's really cool to as I say to play these characters that, that 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 have this real duality to them, and and you and, and you're really not sure uh, whether they're a good guy or a bad guy. 
and, 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 and my approach to any time playing a character like this is I, I never judge the character. I just try to um, play them truth, truthfully and, and lead that uh, judgment up to the audience, whether they think he's a good guy or a bad guy. Well, Fusco is part of this, uh, this long tradition of, of TV cops with a murky past, or you're not sure exactly where they stand. Do you see him as being influenced by, by that tradition or more as his own entity? I think he's more his own entity. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't necessarily. I think you know. My approach to Fusco uh, is that he was just a guy that kind of got caught up. Um, you know, got caught up in the wrong crowd. You know, when you were a kid growing up, your parents would always say to "Stay away from the old. You don't want to fall in <laughs> with the wrong crowd." You know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I think Fusco did. He just kind of fell in with the wrong crowd. He fought, fell in with Stills and and the rest of those guys and. Um, you know, I just think he he d- didn't want to be the odd man out, so he just kind of became a conformist and kind of rolled with what was going on in that precinct at that time. And you know, he he has this encounter with Reese, and um, you know, and Reese says to him, you know, Lionel, I see the good in you. I'm, uh, you know, and uh, if but if I, you ever hurt anyone again, I'll be the first one to kill you. You know. Um, and you know, and everyone loves a good redemption story. So he's he's kind of on this road of redemption. Um, so it's it's you know it's a rather interesting uh, character to play. Yeah. Now our listeners may also remember you, of course, as Freddie Cork from Brotherhood. And after playing a mobster like him in you know such a, a, a menacing figure, is it is it fun to flip that around and play a cop? Yeah, it is. It's 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 definitely fun, and it's definitely t- it's fun to have those kind of comedic moments that uh that Lionel has you know uh, you know as you know uh, last episode he was he was shot in the buttocks <laughs> and uh you know they have little little moments like that where he's he's somewhat you know Freddie Cork was such a character that was so in demand and he was you know he was always in control and and and, and had such power uh and presence and and Lionel uh, doesn't doesn't quite have that and um so it's always nice to kind of play that that other side, mm-hmm. um, and you know I like to play a wide range of characters. Like the, like the the character I played, I played Terrence on Rescue Me. I don't know if yes. you're ever familiar with that yeah. show, where I played this obnoxious brother uh, of you know of Steve Pasquale's character, and um, and that was so much fun to play because it was uh, it was the first time that anyone ever really gave me the opportunity to play um, the kind of comedic note. And um, so, I mean, I like to play things that kind of take me in different directions, you know. Um, I, 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 I somewhat got typecasted there for a while because of the roles that I was playing, like, when I, you know, like in Mystic River when I played Val Savage, who was mm-hmm. this very kind of powerful, um, kind of um, unpredictable kind of street thug. And then, you know, Freddie Cork, of course. So, you know, I was getting asked a lot to play those type characters, you know, and, and I really wanted to get away from this. So this was a, a, a bit of a departure from that. And so um, that, as an artist, you know, excites me to play something away from what people have a tendency to know me uh, as, you know. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about the com- comedic side as well, I, I have to mention Black Dynamite because I think that's... <laughs> Dynamite, dynamite. <laughs> it's got to be the funniest film I've seen in the past five years. I absolutely love it, and you're hilarious in it. So Thank you. That was such a, you know, you know how that whole thing came about? I used to work out at the gym where Michael Jai White, and I, I didn't even know Michael Jai White other than he's, 
<coughs> excuse me, the guy's built like an Adonis. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 Michael Jai White is just—it looks like somebody just took stone and chiseled a human being out of it, you know. And I used to see this this guy, you know, he's a uh, big martial arts guy, and I used to see him at the gym doing these like crazy kicks and splits and all these different things, you know. And I used to be like, who is this guy? And then he walks up to me one day and he goes, Hey, I'm a fan of your work. He's like, My name's Mike Jai White, and I'm like. Well, thank you, you know. And he says, hey, I got this movie. He says, I'd really like for you to be in it. So I, I was like, yeah, okay, you know, here's my address. Drop the script off or whatever. And mm-hmm. I come home from the gym, and there's this big, huge silver Hummer sitting in my driveway. And and so I'm like, who's in my driveway? Like, And I don't know anybody that drives a Hummer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I walk in, and Michael J. White's sitting in my kitchen. He goes, here's the script. And I read it, and I was about 15 pages into it. And I was like, I don't even care what the rest of the movies are like, uh, I'm in. <laughs> so that's pretty much how that whole thing came about. And, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's really a drag that the, a lot of people didn't see that movie because that movie is hysterical. I mean, you know, I'm so proud. I'm, I'm as proud of, of that film as anything I've ever been a part of. Um, and, you know, and for the amount of money we did it for, Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just a labor of love, and all these people came together and were like, "Okay, let's make this movie." And uh, and you know, hats off to Michael; he did a great job. He wrote the script and produced it and starred in it. And um, you know, I'm a huge Mike Jai White fan now. Well, if ever a gym membership paid for itself, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, there wasn't much money to be made in that movie, but I'll tell you, I had one hell of a good time. Yeah, just creatively. <laughs> and- and it may not have had too huge of a, a box office impact, but that is one that I really feel will will get passed around and become a, a cult favorite on on yeah, DVD. You know I find a lot of college kids, um, you know, I like like you know like from like you know eighteen to like twenty two, I'll be in a supermarket or something with my wife, and like you know the person ringing me out the cashier be like, "Are you a weary?" Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of funny. It, uh, you know, but as I say, it was a great film, and and, and it, it definitely has a cult classic following. Yeah. Um. Now, to take it back to person of interest, uh, briefly. I know that television series have notoriously difficult production schedules. Uh, do you yeah. actually get a chance to watch the show or or any other TV? No, I've probably seen two episodes, maybe three. I've maybe maybe I've seen two episodes with my family. Mm-hmm. I saw this last Thursday night. I saw it with my family, and maybe three. I've, I saw this last Thursday night, and maybe two others. But usually on Thursday night, I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, they do show uh, Richard Lewis, one of our producers, will show a cut to the crew and stuff at lunch. But you know, when you you work and you're nine out of ten times, I don't even go in the lunchroom. I'll be in my trailer worrying about the next scene I got to do right after lunch. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I don't get to get to see a lot of it. I, uh, my wife TiVo's it, so I'm hoping that, you know, when we uh, when we wrap for the season, I'll sit down and kind of watch them through and mm-hmm. see the moments that I enjoyed and the other moments where I'll say to myself, "Geez, I wish I had another take on that." <laughs> <laughs> That's always the trouble of of being a performer and watching yourself back. It's never quite how you remember it. But the first movie I ever did was with Martin Sheen. It was a movie called Monument Ave. And, and and probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten in this business was from Martin Sheen, who said to me, when they tell you they got it, you got to walk away. He says, because you'll always want just one more take. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of lived by that philosophy. When the director tells me he's got it, 
you know, I just kind of go, all right, throw my hands up and figured he's got what he's looking for because, you know, as I say, as an actor, you always want just one more. You want to try just <laughs> one more take. Yeah. Um, do Now, do you have a favorite, I know you haven't had a chance to watch them yet, but uh, is, do you have a favorite scene from filming or an episode that you've really enjoyed sinking your teeth into, or is it just the overall experience? Well, we've got some stuff coming up for Lionel, which I think is 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 really going to be um, is going to be enjoyable. Um, you know, this this last episode, last episode with uh, with Astro, I thought was uh, was fun. Um, you know, working in New York. I mean, I, the only time I've ever worked in New York prior to President of Interest was the stuff I did on Rescue Me, but that was a very controlled environment. We worked inside a inside a uh, an apartment, or you know. Uh, we were inside the hospital. We were always in, a, in kind of a contained environment. This is the first time I've ever worked out in the streets of New York City, which has been a huge experience for me. Um, I remember somebody telling me, uh, what was the movie? John Voight, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Midnight Cowboy? Oh, Midnight Rato Cowboy. Rizzo? Yes, absolutely. Rato Rizzo, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a scene in Midnight Cowboy when when... Ratso Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman, is walking down the street with John Voight's character, and a cab comes in and almost hits him. Mm-hmm. And Ratso bangs on his hood and says, "I'm walking here. I'm walking here." You know, that's like kind of one of those like legendary uh, moments in 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 in, in cinematic uh, you know in cinematic history. You know, you know, you hear a lot of people. That's like a famous quote. You know, "I'm walking here. I'm walking here." Well, the story be told was that was an actual cab. That had nothing to do with the with the shoot, that actually almost ran over Dustin Hoffman while he was, <laughs> while he was doing the scene, and he just stayed in character, and started banging on his hood, screaming, "I'm walking here," and and now I get it. After working in New York City, I understand. You know, uh, Jim Caviezel and I were were on Lexington Avenue, shooting a scene. We're having a, a very private conversation in a public place. Uh, we're approximately. 18 inches at the most apart from each other having this conversation. Old lady comes right through between the two of us, gives me an elbow, and just keeps right on walking. Oh, but that's New York, right? Yeah, I'm like, that's New York right there in the nutshell. That was pretty funny. Now, it's interesting because I was going to ask if you'd noticed much of a difference on the production side working on something, of course, like Brotherhood on on pay cable as opposed to Rescue Me on on basic cable and then Person of Interest for the network. I was curious if there was much of a difference um, in your schedule or or in the filming process, but I imagine being on location, it's not a normal network production. You know, I've done – I've appeared in probably – I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 films. And I've done, I don't know, how many hours of network, well, you know, how many hours mm-hmm. of television, whether it was network or cable or whatever. This by far is the hardest working crew I've ever I've ever been around. Um, and as I say, I've worked, you know, I've worked in some, some films that were very demanding, uh, you know, Ladder 49 being one, and, uh, you know, just did a, a movie uh, about a year and a half ago called Unstoppable with uh, Denzel Washington and Chris Pine, which was a Tony Scott film. Um, also very demanding. Um, this crew, it, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, our producer Margot Luck, uh, and and just you know the whole the whole crew there is just it's what what they go through week in and week out is just is just mind boggling. Um, because you know, you're talking about a script that's that's very complex in its own right, but then you have to incorporate a lot of gags and stunts 
which are very time consuming because mm-hmm. you have to you have to have them precise or someone's going to get hurt you know so um you know so even you know our stunt crews and and, and you know it's just right down the line right down to the PAs everybody just is in there doing 120% every week um and it's really uh it's really impressive i'm very impressed uh because as i say i know that i know this show is extremely extremely demanding um just because of the, as i say because of the content and then and then on top of that you add the physical aspect of it and then on top of that you add the fact that you're working in a in an environment that is really not that controlled you know um you know, it's not like working in L.A. on a back lot where you can, or or, or working, um, say, in a, in, a, in a smaller city where you can lock it up for three blocks. You know, first mm-hmm. off, we don't have the we don't have the funds to do that, so um, we just have to kind of wing it on the fly. And um, these, you know, these men and women on this crew just do an amazing job. Well, and you know that professionalism from, as you're saying, from the PAs all the way up to the top is what allows you guys the freedom to really do your jobs well, so that you can be less worried about the are we going to have enough time to get the shot because you know everybody else is doing their job, so then you can just focus on on your job. Yeah, I mean, you know, believe me, there are times when you know there are times when uh, you know the producer come up to me and go, you know what, Kev, you got to get this in one because if we don't. You know, we're not going to be able to shoot the scene, mm-hmm. you know, and there there are moments like that where you've got, you know, you've basically got one or two cracks at it to make it happen or it's not going to happen, you know, um, because you've had this, you know, huge gun battle that you had to shoot earlier that day that, you know, all those things are all time consuming. You know, A, you have to make sure that they're choreographed properly, you know, make sure that no one is hurt, you know, that, that, that everyone's public safety uh, our personal safety and public safety is is addressed, you know, and then and then getting out notification to, um, you know, the people of those communities in, in which you're working in, so that they don't feel that their, you know, that their quality of life has been compromised, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, you know, it's a real it's a real tricky thing, but you know, these 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 men and women make it happen every week, so it's uh, you know, they're just the biggest part of this as anybody. Yep. Now, now down the line, after the six seasons in a movie that I know all the Person of Interest fans are hoping for, is there a particular character or, or type of role that you'd like to try? I'd like to get. I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to do some more comedy. Um, you know, that's the stuff I'd like to do. I'd really like to try to do um, some more comedy. Um, but you know, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy playing Lionel, playing with playing with Lionel because I think that he's got he's got a lot of. Uh, He's got a lot more story to come. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I didn't know, I'm familiar, of course, with your television and film work, but I didn't know, have you had a chance to do theater? Is that interest of interest to you, or is that not really your bag? Well, you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't get into the business until I was late in life. Um, I was a middle-aged man when I started this business. I, was, I, was, I started out as the film commissioner for the city of Boston, and I uh, worked in logistical capacity with a director by the name of Ted Demi and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Dennis Leary. And um, they were the ones who kind of got me into acting. Uh, Ted Demi has since passed on. He had um, he had a heart attack a number of years ago. But um, but Dennis, I still keep in touch with. And as you know, Dennis wrote the the, the character from me on Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been he's been a big supporter of 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 my career. Um, 
you know, and I continue, I continue to, to to study, and I continue to try to evolve as, as an as an actor, and and try to bring my performances to the next level. Yeah. Um, but I, I've done some theater, but you know, not not as nearly as much as I would like to. Um, but you know, I'm I'm a middle aged man who yet is still still learning in this business, and I think when I have it all figured out, it's probably when I'll move on and do something else. Um. But I, I keep to like I like to keep stretching and pulling and, and going in different directions, um, just to see where it, where it's all going to take me. Yeah, well, of course it makes it makes a lot of sense. Now, before we wrap up, uh, I'm sure as you said, J.J. Abrams and Johnny Nolan keep a, a tight ship over there at Press of Interest. But I still have to ask: um, Can you give our listeners any more concrete hints of what's to come this season? Well, what can I say? See, you know, we have a policy of a person of interest that if you give out any storylines, um, Jonah Nolan comes to your house and holds you down while J.J. Abrams beats you with a blunt object. So. <laughs> I believe it. I wish I didn't, but I totally believe it. Have you ever seen Jonah Nolan? He's a monster. He looks like he'd be playing for, like, the Giants or something. He's huge. Um Lionel's probably going to go into a place that he's not going to be too particularly happy about. And we'll see where that all takes us. Okay. All right, we'll go with that. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time, and congratulations on the show and the character and all of the success. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And you can follow us at POIFusco uh, at Twitter.com. Absolutely. Thank you Thank so you. much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's the Televerse for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. On Friday, we had Supernatural, Plucky Penny Whistle's Magic. <laughs> Yay! And the fact that you're saying such a fanciful set of words at the same time just makes it better. Just makes it, oh, so much more fun. Hopefully he will stop. It, he has a, a, a raging war with the neighbor dog who doesn't care that he exists. So that's probably what's inspiring his wrath. Okay, try it again. <laughs>